931-381-4567 or by emailing your questions or comments from collegeview.com. We hope you'll take out your Bibles and study along with us as we begin an exciting study of God's Word on this edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And we welcome you into the Virtual Bible Study. This is the Virtual Bible Study for Thursday. October 18th, 2012. We're glad that you're part of the program tonight, and we look forward to hearing from you. My name is Jacob Gwynn. My father, Greg Gwynn, joins me tonight. Hello, Dad. Jacob, great to be with you tonight. And it's good to be with you. I have an interesting program planned for tonight. A first. We've never uh, we've never talked about this subject before. Yeah, we've been doing the virtual Bible study for over seven years now, but we've never had a chance to talk with someone of the universalist persuasion. And tonight we have a special guest, Jacob. That's right. Tonight we have Gail Seavey joining us from Nashville, from the uh, Unitarian Universalist Church in Nashville. Gail, welcome to the Virtual Bible Study. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. We uh, got in touch with you about oh, close to a month ago now about a newspaper article in which you were interviewed in which uh, the Universalist Unitarian Universalist movement is growing and expanding, especially in the southeast where we are. And uh, we thought we'd have you come on and explain to us what the Unitarian Universalist uh, beliefs are and, uh, and uh, a little bit more about what you believe. First, first of all, Gail, tell us a little bit about yourself. I think maybe some of our listeners might have remembered uh, an unfortunate circumstance a few years ago right here in our state of Tennessee in Knoxville. I think a, a, some uh, deranged person went into a meeting of a Universalist church in Knoxville and, and shot some people. And that may be the only the only exposure that some of our listeners have ever had. Uh, so tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and uh, how, how you got to where you are today. Well, thank you. Yes, um, well, I uh, was a teacher, um, an art teacher, and active in my church, which was the Universalist Church in Massachusetts, um, where the first Universalist churches were built in the um, 1700s. And I'll tell you a little more about that. Um, and, uh, you know, felt the call to ministry and discerned it with my congregation, as so many people do. And uh, went to Harvard Divinity School because it was there. And uh, But it has a long history of um, training not just people of actually every faith in the world, but also Unitarians and Universalists. And... Um, so then, since I've, I guess I've served churches now for more than 22 years, um, and I have served them in California, Minnesota, Massachusetts, and now I've been here in Tennessee. This is my eighth year, and I love it here. I love the congregation here. Great. Now, let me ask you a question right up front. Yeah. You mentioned universalist and Unitarian, and yeah. I detected from the way you worded that, that maybe those are two separate things, that that's not necessarily a synonymous description. Yes, uh, both, both of them are um, were early Christian points of view in those first few hundred years before um, a common uh, agreement about what was orthodoxy was formed. Um, a Unitarian were the really came from the Jewish point of view, so of course Jesus was Jewish, and many people who were Jewish thought of Jesus as a great prophet, the Messiah in their tradition was a great prophet, someone blessed by God, and so they saw him as somebody who, who taught people about God, brought them to God, but they did not see him as um, God himself, himself, so that's why 
it became called that position Unitarian because when the Trinity became Orthodoxy, it was called that in um, contrast to Trinitarianism. Okay. So, so that was one point of view. And then the Universalist point of view um, was another idea that, um, again, you found in early Christianity and coming up at different times uh, throughout our history, which was that Jesus came to save everybody, and that you didn't have to have a certain belief in him, but that his teachings in general um, brought all people back to God. And so there was this sense of um, uh, that original sin had been completed, um, and that people didn't have to do anything for that to happen. They, but in other words, it was original sin was over for you if you were a Buddhist or a Hindu as well as a Christian or okay. Jew. Now, t- uh, let me back you up just a minute, Gail, uh, on the Unitarian concept. Yeah. What? Uh, give me a uh, just a concise view of your understanding about Jesus and his identity. Okay, so, so historically, Unitarians have believed that the, the biblical view of Jesus, what they saw um, being communicated with Jesus, was a great prophet, one, you know, one of the great prophets, one of the great religious leaders. So we see him as um, fully human. All right, so he's not the, uh, we would call him the divine, only begotten son of God. You don't agree? No, we would not, because we would say that when... Um, our interpretation of his words are that he is divine son of God as all of us are divine, touched by the divine. We are all partly divine. We are all children of God. So that being the case, and you said he's a prophet, a great prophet, but yes. certainly your your statement leaves open the idea there are other prophets, uh, great prophets. Could, could I be a Muslim and follow the prophet Muhammad uh, as, as, and, and, that be as acceptable an approach to my religious faith as being a Christian and following Jesus Christ? We do believe that, yes. Okay. Okay. We believe that, that um, they are all prophets of the one God, and that God is the same God. Okay. Now, I, I understand, correct me if I'm wrong, but I also have read that uh, the Unitarian Universalist would welcome those who would be atheistic in their beliefs as well. Um, yes, but what we do is we gather around the ancient concept of covenant, which is we um, promise in a profound way uh, before <laughs> that which is the largest that we perceive. So some of us call that God, but some people... Um, in our culture do not. And so we ask them to covenant before that with one another to treat each other in, in ways that we see are um, moral. And, and many of us learn those ways through religion, and we think our church continues to help teach those ways. And so we believe that a lot of people have had experiences with that which is larger than greater than themselves, but they don't, in their head, define that as God. What if that larger or greater than themselves being is Satan? Would you accept them as well? Well, what we have found is that when you have very specific behavioral covenants, for instance, that you'll love and honor the inherent worth of each person and that you will work for 
justice and reverence and these other moral values that um, it would be um, difficult for us to believe that they were covenanting with something that was evil. Okay. Uh, now, uh, I guess a fundamental thing, then, then how do you define what is good and what is what is evil? You would say this person who would call themselves a Satanist would be doing things that are evil. Where's What, what standard do you use? Well, our, our, coven, our, our general covenant is um, we have seven parts to our general covenant, and it begins with um, honoring the inherent worth and dignity of every human being. And then it moves to um, working, you know, working for justice, equity, and compassion with other human beings. And then next, it's very specific to what we do in church: is to acceptance of one another and encouraging their spiritual growth in our congregations. Then it's a free and responsible truth for truth and meaning. So we take very conscious, very um, the whole idea in Protestantism of listening to one's conscience and having the rights of conscience. We take that very seriously. Um, and then we move into it by saying that when you use the right of conscience, conscience in a community, we use de the democratic process. And then, um, you know, with a goal of uh, working in community, the larger community, for peace, liberty, and justice for everyone, and then finally respect for this interdependent web of all existence of which we are a part. And we, we put that in the context that we are drawing from, for instance, we draw from Jewish and Christian teachings that call us to respond to God's love by loving our neighbors as ourselves. But we also talk about how we would draw from the wisdom of the world's religions which inspire us in these ethical and spiritual lives. So, so we have a, um, a principle-based way of forming community. And so if somebody comes in and says to me they're an atheist, which very few people do, because most people are more humble than that. Most people come in and say, I'm an agnostic, I don't know. And um, it's our job to help them find their own way of finding that spirit of life and love that fuels them to do good in the world. So if someone came to you and said, uh, I'm an agnostic, I don't know, would you try and convince them that there is a God? No, I would find out about how they experience awe and wonder in the world, what drew them to goodness, what experiences they had of that, and help them discover for themselves how they would define that which is greater than themselves. Well, to this question about our standard, Gail, I think that's going to be uh, that's going to be our big difference. I mean, yeah. we're we're at the we're at the absolute opposite end of the spectrum. We believe the right. Bible is a is a complete and infallible revelation of God's will to mankind, and so right. we're very much about basing what we believe and teach and practice on what we can read in the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and we, it's, it's ironic because, of course. We formed our beliefs from a close study of the Bible. And it's um, uh, over the centuries, I think, what um, has happened is human beings um, interpret um, that sacred scripture differently, of different um, cultures, different times. We, we, we read it, we, we learn from it differently, we 
um, interpret it differently. And so, yes, we draw on how people have interpreted it in the past, but we also think that that revelation is still open. And so that when somebody goes to the Bible now, they still they are open to having inspiration from it. And it um, might not be exactly the way they thought about it when they first read it as a child or the way they thought they were taught it. So we see that as um, a living, the Bible is, a, is one, and that there are other scriptures and the Bible is one, very so, important, but l- it's living. Let me ask you a, a question. Let me ask you a question. We earlier today I put out to our yeah. listener base uh, 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 the news that you would be joining us tonight and ask Good. ask them to send in questions that they might like to ask you. We got a, an email from James in South Africa, who right. says, uh, "Do Unitarian Universalists believe that the Bible is the Word of God, and do they believe that it's the only standard for Christians to follow?" And I take it from what you were just saying that your answer to that would be no, that it's that it's not the only standard for Christians. You believe it's from God. Is it from God? We believe that human beings inspired by God wrote it. Inspired it in what way? Beings. Inspired in what way? That that all right, so so if I have an experience where I feel like I have been moved by God, that I am I am I'm having this of um, understanding of inspiration that through God, let's say I'm reading scripture, I could write about it. No words, you'd be inspired. So, so, so it is not authoritative. Okay. It's not the, it might, it's gone through the human vessel. It's not, it's not um, for all time. We read it with a certain amount of humility of not only ourselves, but all the humans who wrote. In other words, if I if I saw if I saw a beautiful sunset and it right. made me have thoughts of God, mm-hmm. and and I wrote about it, that, that 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 would be equivalent to what the Apostle Paul wrote. Yes, yes, I would agree with that. And it would be as authoritative, or not authoritative, I guess. I mean, it wouldn't be any. In other words, my writing about this moving experience that I had would have as much significance religiously as what Paul or Peter wrote in, in our New Testament? Um, up to a point. The point is that um, those things who have been passed on and valued and people have experienced them in their lives through community, and so they, through community, through human relationships, they have built um, a certain amount of authority because of that, and that's why I think one reason I think they're sacred is that we have found that 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 through time that we can still see that those words are true. But some of the early Unitarians would say Jesus's teachings are so true, so important, so uh, of value that even if it wasn't Jesus who taught them to us, they would still be of value. In other, words, I mean? it's, it, in other words, the idea of love your neighbor is such a noble concept. It doesn't matter that it came from Jesus. Just just the fact that it is a high and noble precept makes it valuable, not not where it came from, but, but the concept itself. I, I think that's really beautifully said. 
All right. Let's and uh, so we're grateful. I mean, we, we honor Jesus because he taught this, you know, I mean, God is love. Like it, like it says in First John, or when Jesus taught, love your God with all your heart and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself as the two great laws. Um, we are, you know, I learned about love through actual love, you know, having love of parents and family, and through hearing those words. But I have a Buddhist daughter-in-law who learned about love through Buddha and learned about compassion and her parents. Well, uh, Dale, it, was as, it was just as powerful for her. In this email from James, he, he, he concludes that if we can't agree, in other words, we're Bible-based people, and, mm-hmm. and if we can't agree on the Bible as a rule book, mm-hmm. it seems to me like there's, there's a, if, if you invite people into your congregations from all these different backgrounds and with all mm-hmm. these random variety of beliefs and basis for those beliefs, mm-hmm. uh, it if we were playing a football game and we weren't playing by the same rules, it'd be pure chaos. How do you, how how can we prevent pure chaos uh, if there is no accepted set of rules? Let's, let's take a break and we'll get back, Gail. Uh, if you can hold the line, and w- when we get back, you can explain to us how do you because uh, to take it one step farther, the the the, the books that you're going to be using for rules they contradict the script that we believe the New Testament would say that uh, those who are living by another faith would not be pleasing and be doing things different and, and contrary to what God wants them to do. Those who may be playing from the Koran would say the same thing about those who are following the New Testament. So how do you, how do you harmonize those when you have statements that are mutually exclusive in the different books that you'd, you'd follow and believe are inspired? We'll take a break and get your thoughts. Right. If you'd like to talk to Gail, the number to call is 877-381-4567. The email address to use is questions at collegeview.com, and the chat room is open to the right of your viewing window. Sign in there and send your comments. We'll take a break and be back right after this. Enjoying the virtual Bible study? Email a friend during this break and tell them to join in on the discussion. There's more exciting Bible study after this commercial. I'm Greg Gwynn, a host of the Virtual Bible Study. Thanks for joining us for tonight's program. The Virtual Bible Study is presented weekly by the College View Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Each week on the Virtual Bible Study, we simply engage in the study of God's Word in an effort to better understand it, better understand how God views us, and better understand what He wants from us in our lives. We're not studying any creeds. We're not studying any books written by men. We're just studying the Bible. And we're trying to study the Bible alone without any of our opinions or wisdom mixed in. We're only interested in what our Creator has revealed to us in his word. We realize that we're fallible and cannot direct our own steps. As a result, what we think or feel doesn't really matter. All that matters is what God has said. So that's what the virtual Bible study is all about. It's pretty simple, isn't it? Thanks again for joining us tonight, and we will hope you'll make plans to join us every Thursday night for the virtual Bible study. Here's some quotes worth pondering. If a million people say a foolish thing, it's still a foolish thing. We know what a person thinks, not when he tells us what he thinks, but by his actions. Be careful of your thoughts. They may become words at any moment. Nothing will work unless you do. Be more concerned with your character than your reputation, because your character is what you really are, while your reputation is merely what others think you are. Do not let what you cannot do interfere with what you can do. The person who says that something cannot be done should never interrupt the one who is doing it. You can't live a perfect day without doing something for someone who will never be able to repay you. Attitude is a little thing that makes a big difference. Man, wish I'd said that. 
Quit checking your email. The commercials are over and the virtual Bible study is ready to roll. Take it away, guys. We're back on the virtual Bible study tonight. We're glad that you're here with us. Uh, the number calls 877-381-4567. We're on with Gail CV from the Unitarian Universalist Church in Nashville. Gail, we appreciate you joining us tonight. And we probably should have started uh, the discussion uh, with this uh, just uh, out of uh, courtesy, uh, you you preach or you're the minister. I'm getting bad uh, audio here. Yeah, you got that connection. There. I can hear you fine. You can, but nobody else can. <laughs> oh, here we go. Uh, uh, you you're you're the minister there at the university. First that, first Unitarian Universalist Church of Nashville. It's absolutely. Is it? It's the first. Is it the only in Nashville? No, there's a, another one. It's called Greater Nashville. Um, it it uh, formed from this one. About almost 20 years ago now. And what's the size of the congregations there? About well, our congregation has 450 adult members, a little over that. Um, theirs has more like 100 uh, adult members. And then uh, in the state of Tennessee, what, uh, how many would be uh, how many congregations in the whole state? Oh, um, I should know that. <laughs> <laughs> was I correct? I, don't. <laughs> I, I was correct in my remembrance that that. Terrible episode a few years ago. It yes. was at a, a Unitarian. It was in a Knoxville yeah. uh, Unitarian Universalist Church. Um, there are about four or five in the Knoxville area, and that was the one downtown, yeah. which has a membership of about 700 members. And um, of course, uh, our church uh, was very, very close to people in that church, and um, they actually called our church during the shooting. Um, people in our church, you know, the the miracle of cell phones, and so we were there with them. And I have to say, the Knoxville community was very supportive and wonderful of them. And well, nobody we wants to, nobody. I mean, we can disagree yeah. about religious matters, but that's exactly. certain, that's not the way to handle any disagreement. I mean, exactly. I, I mean, think, I think already it's evident that our positions are much different from yours, but we can at least respect one another. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Let me let me get back to the question that Jacob suggested earlier, and mm-hmm. and one of our listeners up in Indiana, Mike in Orleans, Indiana, uh, asked several questions. One of them was along the lines of what Jacob was suggesting: How can your members accept all faiths when their faith that they claim may be exclusive of others by nature? For instance, Jesus said in John fourteen verse six, "I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me." So well, I'm, I'm coming. We have a very different interpretation of that. Okay, how would you and, explain that? Yeah, um, we we really don't believe that Jesus meant that as saying that he had an exclusive faith. We believe that his disciples at that time were asking him if he was to be gone, if he was going to die. There was that fear that his, he was telling them that that might happen, and that he they're saying, "How are we going to find you?" And he's saying, you, through your belief in me, you will find me in heaven. You know, my father's house has many mansions, which we interpret as there's many ways to experience um, God after life. And, um, but you will know the mansion to go to because you, you follow his way. And, and your, love will, your love, your belief will take you there. And what we find here. In churches, it is true, and our church is not a good place for people. I mean, they do not want to be here. I mean, we live in a wonderful society where, you know, Nashville, there's a thousand congregations here, and if people want to worship with people who have the exact same beliefs they do, 
that's wonderful, and that is probably their path and their way. I mean, that is their way, the way well, that Jesus points to them. But people in our church, like, we have people who would call themselves Christian here, who would say, I believe in the way of Christ, but I don't believe it's the only way. And so that is where they have a very different view. Just and, as a follow-up on that, Gail, let yeah. me... I, I, I have trouble with the explanation you offered uh, about yeah. what Jesus was saying about himself as the way to mm-hmm. God. His his disciples took it to mean literally that he was the only way. Peter himself said in Acts 4, verse 12, Neither mm-hmm. is there salvation in any other, for there's mm-hmm. none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, it seems... So, so let me tell you a story. And... and, and that is, you know, that's why I say the Bible is, we believe it's been filtered through people's experiences and that we don't find every word is authoritative. And so that's a matter of personal conscience. There was a man who was one of the great universalist leaders in the um, 1700s. He was a French Huguenot. Um, you know, they were for, they were Protestants forced out of uh, Catholic France, and he grew up in England. His name was George de Beneville, and he was a great uh, teacher, preacher of uh, in the Huguenot faith all throughout Europe. And he had many visions um, later in life where he. Um, but, but that's not the story I want to talk about. It led him to the universalist faith, and he came to America and preached it here in the um, late 1700s. He lived here for 40 years. But when he was a child, he was in England. He was in a very protective family. I mean, they were refugees in England. They were religious refugees. And, you know, so he only heard, he heard um that his faith was the only way and, and learned wonderful things about love and, and um, saw family support. And then there was great danger how they expressed, you know, lived their faith in France. Their friends, their family had been killed. And so it was very protective. And, but they decided that he was to learn navigation. And so he was put on a ship. And it was a a group of ships that were going to Algiers to do negotiations in Algeria. And, you know, he's this 14-year-old, kind of spoiled, protected boy. And he gets there in Algeria, and he gets up early in the morning. They've just gotten to dock. And, of course, local people are coming on board to to sell them food because people in 1700s, early 1700s, been a long journey. They're out of food, you know, they're, they're eager for fresh food. And so the people coming on board are Moors. So that means they're um, Northern African Muslims. And they come on board with the food, and one of them falls on one of the rigging. And he, um, he, he rips open his leg on it, and his, his, uh, the people came over with him. They start... You know, praying to Allah, wailing, they're crying, and the young boy comes over, George, and he's writing this in his um, spiritual autobiography. He says, "I yelled at these people. I told them, shut up, shut up. Well, you know, be quiet, be quiet. Um, you're waking the people. It's early in the morning. How could you be so rude?" And one of them looks and they says, "Oh, I am. You know, I'm so sorry, but we're praying to our God. Our friend has been hurt. We're praying for his healing, and our tears are wiping away his 
um, he, helping wipe wash away the blood on his wound, and um, but we're sorry. And he, he said he was overcome with like this uh, really shaking to his core of humility. And he says these men are acting more Christian than I am. It's exactly how he wrote it in his um, his spiritual biography. They they are they are turning to God. They are um, showing enormous compassion for their friend. They're, but do, but uh, 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 we got to hurry I'm for just time. Saying, this is the history of what. Um, but that, that's 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 experience. But that's entirely subjective, Gail. I mean, there, there's mm-hmm. no objectivity about that. Uh, it, uh, that that's a a story of of how a person feels about a thing. That's true. Versus being able to say, here's the substance, here's the rule, here's the objective standard by which we can determine right, well, wrong, I, good, bad. And 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 you know, I I hear what you're saying. And we just disagree because I believe reading the Bible is not objective. All right. I believe we... that it isn't. I believe that everybody brings their subjective experience to it, that the more we study the, the, the context of which it was written and know more about it, the more aware we become of our subjectivity. All right, and we... I don't know how you separate that. Gail, can you stay on for one more break? Absolutely. Uh, hey, Gail, you. what I want to do when we get back, we got some rapid-fire. Let's go some rapid-fire questions we've got from our listeners. And I've got some questions as well. I want to talk about your worship service, because we, okay. uh, what that is and, and how you conduct that, uh, just so yeah. we can understand that. And then I want to ask you about faith. What is what what I'd like you to define faith and how, how mm-hmm. do you how do you get that faith? And, and we'll go we'll go real rapid fire so we can get, uh, get as much air ground covered as possible. Okay, all right, we're going to continue our discussion with uh, Gail Seavey. We're glad that she's joined us tonight and uh, very interesting to get her take on things. And we'll look forward to your perspective as well at eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Questions at collegeview.com. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back right after this. Don't touch that mouse. The virtual Bible study will be back right after this. This is Greg Gwynn with this week's bullet point. What would you think of a man who tells his wife, I know there are some things I need to change in order to be a proper husband, and I plan to make those changes, but not right now. I have some things I want to do first. Pursue some of my hobbies. Hang out with my friends. Go places, do things I like. After I get all that stuff done, I'll take care of my home duties. You'd think that fellow's an incredible jerk, wouldn't you? What's he thinking? Does he really expect his wife to wait to put up with his selfish, childish conduct until he is ready to get serious about their relationship? No. He needs to get things right, and we mean right now. If this is what we'd expect and demand from a husband toward his wife, why would we think differently about an individual's duties toward God? Can you imagine how God feels when people selfishly pursue all their own desires while continually postponing their obedience to Him? There are many who know what they should do, and they claim that they intend to do it, but they keep procrastinating. It's an affront to the God who loves us and who constantly blesses us with every good gift. For all those who express their plans to obey the gospel but not right now, we urge you to think seriously about how God perceives this delay. For those who have initially obeyed but have fallen into a state of unfaithfulness, please consider that God says you have, quote, trodden underfoot the Son of God and have counted the blood of the covenant wherewith you were sanctified an unholy thing and hath done despite unto the Spirit of grace. Hebrews 10, verse 29. Are you planning to do the right thing but not right now? You better think about that again. That's this week's bullet point. Think about it.
I'm Arthur Haynes from Kaleoka, Tennessee, and one of my greatest highlights of the week is to listen to the Virtual Bible Study. A streaming Bible study. Why didn't I think of that? Now back to the guys. Welcome back to the program tonight as we talk about uh, the Unitarian Universalist Church with Gail Seavey from the First Unitarian Universalist Church in Nashville. We'll remind you this program is brought to you by the College U Church of Christ in Columbia, Tennessee. Find out more about us by visiting our website, The Virtual Bible Study. Com. If you have any questions about what we believe or practice, we'd encourage you to contact us anytime, questions at collegeview.com. Gail, before the break, uh, we told you, let's see, Gail was here with us. Uh, Gail, before the break, uh, we told you that uh, we wanted to talk about your worship. Uh, can you give us a rundown of what a worship service uh, at the Unitarian Universalist Church is like? Um, it's it's uh, pretty familiar to people who um, go to a Protestant service um, in that there's a uh, um, a lot of hymns singing. Um, there's a uh, um, readings. There's, uh, but they're they're from different world scriptures. They're not from you know from the Old and New Testament only. They're, they're from a variety. It will tell a story at the beginning and from different um, faiths. Uh, there's a uh, there's anthems. There's a choir. They sing anthems. Um, you know, we have a, a collection, it's the Free Church. Um, it's a congregational government, the money donated, half of it we give to the community, to some um, organization, we bury the organization every month that um, is serving the same values we serve in the community, and um, half of it we keep to run the church. Um, we uh, have a, a sermon, and... Um, Throughout the year, we have different rituals instead of a sermon. And then you're, and then you're, you, you present the sermon, I would assume. I usually do, and but we have a group of people that we have worship associates, and we um, discuss the sermon together. And every once in a while, one of them does it. And then you're, and is your, you're, you usually use the Bible in that sermon, or would you use just a variety of text? I assume we use a variety of texts from okay. the world's religion, right. yes, including right. the Bible. All right, and then. You've used the word faith, I believe, in our mm -hmm. discussion. What is faith, and how do you get it? <laughs> um, we, we believe faith is that which is um, a sense of trust in that we are held by the universe, um, or God, or that which is greater than us, that we are part of something greater, and that we can rest in that. Okay. And, and how... And and that, that, that's the extent of it, I guess? Um, that's the only thing that all of us would agree on. People might, everybody in my church would maybe have a specific way they would explain that. A, okay. a person in my church who, you know, drew more from Buddhism would explain it differently than someone who drew more from a Christianity or Judaism. Okay. What, what if someone, can, I'm looking, uh, the, we've got a chat room going on as we're talking, yeah. and we've yeah, not paid much attention. Uh, Mike uh, in the chat room asked, "What about child sacrifice? Would that be good if it? In other words, if you came from a, a diverse religion that practiced human sacrifice, what because would?" Because th that would not um, be reflective of our covenant, which is to honor the inherent worth and dignity of each person. Okay. So we would not. Um, so so that they would not be able to be in covenant with us if they believe that, and they wouldn't want to be in covenant. All right. The, uh, I got a question from Lane who asked, uh, well, and this is more to the universalist part of, mm -hmm. your, of your understanding. What would be the point in doing anything contrary to our own lusts and desires if there's no condemnation? 
Um, well, we don't. We believe that uh, we were. I mean, the universalists believe that we want to do good. Human beings um, have this desire. I mean, we are sons and daughters of God, so we, we have this desire to love. We're, we're attracted to love, to do good. We bring up our children in love. We see two-year-olds going around, you know, trying to, to help some other child. Um, that we believe that that it's our job to nurture that, so that that can grow into full character. Okay, but so are you saying are you saying that you you the reason not to pursue lusts and desires and so forth is because living a a different way is a better life. In other words, it's uh, not a better life. Yeah, yeah, because living a because living a different way is a better life. Exactly, so you're, you're and not, that people that people long to live that better life. Okay, so and, and so it's not because it would send a soul to hell. In other words, if I, if I go out here and live a very immoral and corrupt life, right. it's not it's not that I'll go to hell, but I just won't enjoy short term. In, in, yeah. in this immediate life, I won't enjoy the best life I can have. The old universalists used to call it happifying. They, they would say, I mean, use the word happy. They would say, in the 1800s, they would say, you are happified by loving. And truly, life, you know, by your loving, life is you're made not better. hurting another person, so you wouldn't be lustful or hurt that other person. And so your life is right. just enriched. You're, you're made better. Yeah. Okay, I you, you, you're, you feel closer to God. You feel better you feel good you feel I, I make that argument i don't make it the same way you do gail i yeah. i make that argument because i believe that god has given us his rules and instructions to live by because he loves us and cares for us and mm-hmm. wants us to have the best life yeah. that's why he has set forth a system of rules and laws for mm-hmm. us to keep but uh, i come to that from a different perspective than you do. yeah hey. uh, and that's why i think we can find something in common with any tr- person who has really trying to live a, a, a religious life. And Gail, you, the, the, you got we've t- touched on it. Do you believe in the afterlife? Um, I personally have no idea. Uh, someone, uh, let's see, who did? Oh, I got this from uh, an email with a question for you from Chris, who's in the UK. He apparently got online and and listened to a sermon that you had preached. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I take it it's your sermon dated April 9th, 2006, a sermon called Atonement. He says, you ended with this conclusion. If, for we are not redeemed by sacrifice, by suffering, nor by evil, we are saved in spite of them. We are saved by love. And then he asked, how are we saved by love? If the Bible or any sacred book, for that matter, is just a collection of moral tales or life tips, what are we being saved for? If our eternal destiny really doesn't matter, what does it matter if we follow anything uh, if this life only is all we have shouldn't we just eat drink and be merry oh, what's interesting so if we don't know about an afterlife how do, what what are we being saved from well quite honestly unitarians and universalists have worked um have taken very <coughs> literally the thing of uh thy will be done on heaven on earth as it is in heaven um we have agreed that we cannot know what is the afterlife and that we believe that by your fruits you shall know them and that we try to make a loving just world here on earth and the old universalists used to say you get your hell on earth in other words you can do things to make life a hell 
or you get your heaven on earth, which means you have done things to build in your family, in your community, in your church, in your greater community, uh, ways for people, you know, as Jesus said, to visit the sick, to um, visit those in prison, to clothe the hungry. So if you um, can do those things and make life better and more loving for all those people around you, then you've made a heaven on earth. And that is the best. That is salvation. Um, okay. Uh, you got something? Well, yeah. I, um so, so we don't know. We don't know about the resurrection then, uh, as far as whether or not uh, there, there will be a resurrection. I guess we. I'm sure there's people with very different points of view on that in church. Uh, Paul said, "If uh, there is no resurrection, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we're of all men most miserable." He um, would. He, well, I, if, and and if if you would be miserable, then thank God you have your faith in Christ. I, I find people facing death with their beliefs um, and, you know, some of them quite firmly believing that they will not have life after death and go in with great peace and love. And um, I guess people have different ways of looking at that. Do you believe that Christ raised from the dead? I have no idea. Now, we're not talking about uh, to heaven, are we? To, do you believe that he physically, bodily came forth from the grave, as the New Testament teaches? I really don't have a belief in that. Okay. Uh, from Chris in Georgia, he asked, "Have you ever investigated the proof of the Bible being from God?" And in other words, the uh, word of the God. He, he's he's asking basically, have you have you thoroughly investigated what we call the study of evidences? In other words, we. We feel compelled to prove what we believe, that the mm-hmm. Bible is a infallible, inspired book from God. Mm-hmm. And so we go, th- we go through, and I, I, he's just asking, have you investigated such a study uh, and dismissed it? In other words, it, I, based upon my study of the Bible and the evidences that support the inspiration of the Bible... I believe it's from God, and therefore I reject other books because I believe Mm -hmm. they couldn't be from God. If this one is, those can't be because they contradict each other. And he asked, how do you reconcile the contradictions? If if the Bible is from God, how do we reconcile the contradictions with other documents that you also hold to? This is interesting. I don't believe all of those other documents, just like I don't believe everything in the Bible, is like a historical law or truth so so at the, i don't the contradictions don't bother me secondly when i read the hebrew bible i see that god made and to me this is a mythology it's a way of explaining the diversity in the in a unified world i see that god um made a universal covenant after the flood and said that, you know, I, I, I make a covenant and use those words to, to, that I will never strike down all living things. It was a covenant with all of life on this earth. That was a universal covenant. And that later, that's in Genesis chapter 8, 8, 9. And then later in Moses, God makes a tribal covenant with the people, a specific covenant with those people with specific laws. So I believe that there are general laws and that different groups 
have their own specific relationship and way of seeing God. And so um, Buddhists have developed a different way of seeing that which is greater than themselves, than Hindus, than Christians, than Jews, than Muslims. And I believe that um, in Micah, when Micah um, talks those wonderful passages about someday you will see that all the swords have been turned into plowshares and all the peoples of, um, you know, will be under their fig. And, and the next chapter, that's chapter 4, uh, verses 3 and 4, they say all peoples walk, each in the name of the God and God, but we will walk in the name of our God. And so I was taught by rabbis that what that means is that all people walk with that one God, but each of us walks with God in our own kind of tribal way, in our own community way. And so I just see that we all have different paths to the one God. And, so the, that's, and I don't see it as a contradiction. I just see it as we're humans. We see even our communities and our histories, we see things narrowly. We only see out one window out onto the great light, and you're looking out a different window than I am. Okay. And All right. That's how I see it. Let, let us take one more break, Gail, and we'll yeah. go to the top of the hour. i got a few more questions from our listeners. and I, I, It's very interesting to hear your, your point of view. As I said, I've never personally discussed uh, spiritual matters with with a person of your persuasion, and so we're we're getting a better understanding of where you're coming from, and so and, we appreciate. And, it. Again, we've been asking you a lot of questions. I probably hadn't left you time to think about questions for us, but if you've got some questions that have come to mind uh, in the discussion as well, we'd like to hear those uh, uh, from you, Gail. If you have some of those, um, we'll take a break. And if you've got questions on the other end of the line, the number to call is eight seven seven three eight one four five six seven. Don't go anywhere. The virtual Bible study continues right after this. You won't want to miss what we talk about next. The discussion continues right after these important messages. We're tracking the trends on the virtual Bible study. Here's a brief but startling statistic. In 2006, 22% of Americans said they had never attended a religious service. That's up from 9% in 1972. That information is via Timbleton Foundation. In the Word of God, we read Deuteronomy 32, verse 18. Of the rock that begat thee, thou art unmindful, and hast forgotten God that formed thee. Do you remember when the emphasis of the work of the church was on teaching the gospel, converting the lost, and strengthening the saints? Can you recall good old-fashioned gospel preaching that appealed to the Bible as the sole and final authority in all religious matters? Are you tired of seeing churches that seem much more interested in social events and entertainment than in simply following the New Testament pattern? Would you love to hear lessons from the pulpit like you used to hear? Do you want to find a church that is still doing things the way you remember from years ago? If these things describe the way you are feeling, please visit us soon. Come and see. Visit us at the College View Church of Christ. Use your internet connection for something good. Listen to the virtual Bible study every week. Now, back to the program. We're back on the program tonight, going to the top of the hour with Gail Seavey from the Unitarian Universalist Church in Nashville. Appreciate you listening to the program tonight. If you have any questions, send them in tonight, and uh, we'll try and work them in. Uh, uh, More of the break. Uh, Gail, uh, quickly, some other questions. Uh, uh, Lane asks, is there absolute truth? Um, there probably is, but I don't really imagine that any human being knows what it is. Okay. Uh, from Ramona in Texas, she references 
First Timothy 6, verses 3 and 4. If anyone advocates a different doctrine and does not agree with sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing. Uh, what about exclusive statements like that in the New Testament? Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, that, that's, that's what I guess, yeah, that's going to be, that's the, that's what would give us the most concern with your position is mm-hmm, we, these, yeah. these absolute statements. And I'm sure that you've talked with people in other uh, religious groups who would feel the same way. How, how do you get past those clear? I mean, you really, you really can't argue with the things that are said in the scriptures about, you know, Jesus said, "I am the way, the truth, and the life." Uh, that sounds 180 degrees opposite of what you said, where we're all in different routes in our different communities. Uh, mm-hmm. How do you, how do we get past those statements? Well, I it, it, I don't know what you mean by get past them. We disagree on, on the interpretation of that. I see them as part of um, a particular community trying to describe what is their way, and it's the way for them, and I totally respect that. Um, I see it as a way to the same God, and we disagree that, uh, in that interpretation. But, 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 now but uh, uh, do I understand, and, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, but it's okay for you if we disagree. In other words, to us, we feel like this is a major yeah. crisis if we disagree on basic fundamental doctrines. We couldn't have a unitarian anything as far as yeah. we understand it with a disagreement like that. That's, but are you yeah. saying it really is not? A, that's not a big deal to you? Um, I, I, I guess it would be a, if it's a big deal to you. I, I, I respect that, but it's not. No, it's not a big deal to me. Okay. Um, every but, but, person in my in my um, church has somebody in their family probably, that has a different exclusive faith. In my family alone, there's people who are, I can think of four different exclusive faiths, and some of them of more general, you know, more open faith. And I love all of them dearly, and um, I don't, it doesn't um, keep me from being able to um, do what I think God wants me to do, which is to love, support, and help them. Amos 3, 3 in the Old Testament, the prophet asks, can two walk together except they be agreed? That just seems like a logical question. If How can, how can you and I be united if well, we have we, fundamental differences about the identity of Jesus, yeah. about the inspiration of the scriptures, and so forth? Uh, and, I think we're in, in, in our pluralistic society that we live in that we are united in some ways and we're not in other words um you know when i talk about the old puritan governments they were to walk together in the ways of the lord now the people in my church are walking together on a different path they think they're walking on the way walking on the way of the lord but it's a different path than you're walking and i respect your path i think that we get together on there might be some other issues in the world that we agree on, like serving the poor or visiting the people in prison or um, uh, helping uh, people after the flood because our faith drive, you know, gives us the inspiration that this is a way to express the love that has been bestowed upon all of us. Now, so, let me ask you a specific question along the lines of, you know, acceptance and and mm-hmm. and respect for for the sanctity of people and so forth. Mm-hmm. I saw on your website. I take it from what I saw on your website that you are uh, would be 
the terminology we use these days, you're pro-choice on the question of abortion. Um, pro-choice. I mean, um, no, well, you wouldn't be opposed yeah, to abortion. Rhetoric. Not, I, 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 yeah, yeah, you would be opposed. You would not feel that uh, abortion is fundamentally wrong. On, on some cases, it would be, and some it wouldn't. I, I, I think it's so hard to generalize on that. I, How I, would we know? Uh, I mean, I think that's the thing. I, uh, what I, my takeaway from our discussion tonight, Gail, is how do I know? How can I make these kind of decisions? How how can I come to conclusions right. and and you know yeah. to, to live my life by? How can that's I, right. I affirm about any issue? Because you can find people right. who would claim to have faith that would be on the opposite side of basically every issue. Every issue, exactly. Okay. Exactly. And so so I think that um, I think that what we do probably isn't that different than what you do. We study, we pray, or meditate. We. Uh, discern within community. We, we call upon our elders and our peers to help us discern, and we bring it to that which is larger, especially making such, you know, an incredible life-death decision around something like, um, you know, abortion or something like that. You, Huge decision. At the end of this process, do you come to a firm conclusion? I think people often come with humility to a conclusion. They make decisions, and they live love the best they can within their community. All right. Uh, we're, we're just close to out of time, Gail. I have one yeah. question I've kind of been saving from Mike up in Indiana who asked, and I think this is a really interesting question. What if I believe you and you are wrong? What how, how, he, he asked the very, the very direct okay. question. In other words, he says, what if I believe you and you are wrong. And um, are wrong about what? <laughs> well, just uh, well about let's, about, about what you let's take about the identity of Jesus, for instance. That he uh, what what if what if someone accepts your view that he's a a prophet, a good man, and a great moral uh-huh. teacher, but not the only begotten Son of God and the only way to to the Father. But, with all humility, with all humility, I would think that God, if this Jesus is right, that God is a God of love, and that his teachings of forgiveness and being non-judgmental are truly, truly what he taught, and that is the truth, then I feel safe to be in the hands of you know, Gal, I asked. I told you before. You and, your fr- and for him to be safe in the hands of that guy. I told you before that we'd be open to any questions you might have of us. Yeah. Do, do you have any for us? Yeah. Um. Uh, in terms of uh, how do you um how do you you know you keep asking me how do I know things are true? Mm-hmm. But how do you know? I, it, it's like um, I'm just curious. Well, I, this would go very much to that study of evidences that we talked about yeah. earlier. In other words, okay. we, believe, we, we believe that we can present a, a, a case of hard evidence that, that, that would establish Jesus truly as the one he claimed to be, the only begotten Son of God, and the Bible to be the, the final and complete revelation of God to mankind. It looks like we're about to lose our battery on our phone, Gail. So we believe okay. we're going we're gonna to say we can get the answers from, from the Scriptures because we, we have... 
develop such confidence in them that we think yeah. we can know. Right. And I guess I guess um, we've just developed confidence in a system that of discernment that it's confidence, but I, we have a lot of humility about it. Okay. Gail, we're just we're we're we're, so we're just sure. we're just about out of time, and I hear our battery. Uh, we're just about out of time, and I hear our battery beeping that we're going to lose you here yeah. anyway. So we want to thank you tremendously for spending an hour with us on the yes, virtual yeah, Bible study. Thank st- you for and, uh, and and we really appreciate your good natured tone. And and uh, again, we disagree. We disagree fundamentally, yeah. but we can disagree as as respectful people to one another. And I appreciate that you've done that with us. And we really thank you for taking time to join us on the virtual Bible study. And I thank you so much for your respectful conversation and questions and um, bless you very much in your work that you're doing. Thank you very much. Thanks, Gail. Yeah. Thanks for being with us. Take care. All right. All right. Bye-bye. And uh, we appreciate, uh, Gail, for joining us on the program tonight. Dad, uh, first time that uh, we've yeah. talked with uh, you know, someone of that persuasion. We had all kind of conversation going on in the chat room. We had a lot of response by email to questions we sent out earlier today that we didn't get to. Jacob, I think we got to do a follow-up, and hopefully we can do that. We'll make a decision and let everybody know when we'll be able to next week. get some of these comments. But yeah. next week, it may not be the week. It might or may not, not be. But, get back to this. but uh, next week is our gospel meeting here at College View, and uh, we want to invite everybody in the Middle Tennessee area. If you're within a driving distance of Columbia, please come and join us next week. We'll be meeting at... Our normal Sunday morning times, 9.30 and 10.30. In the afternoon, we'll meet for, for a period of singing at 2.30, and our worship will be at 3 o'clock. And then throughout the week, Monday through Friday at 7 o'clock each night, the theme of our gospel meeting, and it's kind of in stark contrast to our discussion tonight, we, we're going to talk specifics. What makes the Church of Christ different? And, you know, we believe that the church is different and that... There's a reason behind that, and we're going to be talking about a number of the things that make the Church of Christ different from lots of other religious groups, or effectively from all other religious groups that that are in the world today. All right, uh, so next week, uh, Sunday at uh, 9.30, 10.30, and 3 o'clock in, we're the, preaching. in the afternoon, <coughs> and then uh, 7 o'clock Monday through Friday, you'd be welcome at any of these services. We hope you'll come. Yeah, and Mike in the chat room quickly asked who's doing the speaking. We're going to have different men different preachers from around this area, from Middle Tennessee and North Alabama, will be speaking Well, for Mike, us. if you're thinking about coming down from Indiana, we would encourage you to do that. 7 o'clock, yeah. Monday through Friday, and Thursday night, we'll be doing the virtual Bible study immediately following. Right. Chris Bates, who's been on the program before, will be our speaker Thursday night, and he'll be joining us for the virtual Bible study, Lord willing. All right. Appreciate everybody for your conversation and discussion tonight. Sorry we missed many of your comments. We had a, a very busy discussion, and hopefully... Uh, your comments were shared among the group, and you could comment among yourselves. We missed a lot of those tonight, but we appreciate those. Uh, Dad, thank you for your time. Thank you, Jacob. And Jeff has been behind the control, been quiet all night. Jeff, I haven't had time to get to you. Thank you for being here, Jeff. And uh, we hope that uh, you all have benefited from our study and discussion of God's Word. We hope you make plans to be back here this time next week for another edition of the Virtual Bible Study. And in the meantime, we encourage you to put God first in your life, study His inspired Word, the Bible, and live by it every day. You'll never regret it. Thanks for listening to the Virtual Bible Study, brought to you by the College View Church of Christ. The College View Church of Christ meets at 1618 Hampshire Pike in Columbia, Tennessee. If you are in the Columbia, Tennessee area, we encourage you to worship with the College View Church of Christ on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and on Sunday evenings at 6 o'clock. The College View Church of Christ also welcomes you to attend their Wednesday night Bible studies at 7 o'clock. If you have any questions about something that was said on tonight's broadcast or would like more information about the College View Church of Christ, 
College View Church of Christ, please call 931-381-4567. That number again, 931-381-4567. Or for more information on the internet, visit collegeview.com. Be sure to tune into the virtual Bible study this time next Thursday for another informative study of God's Word.